0: hi welcome to the second meta episode of jimmy fiction previously i had said i probably wouldn't make an episode about what i thought really happened in the billionaire boys club and this one might not even be that exactly but i wanted to talk about the way i'm fictionalizing the people and events to suit the purposes of the story Celebrity prosecutor Marcia Clark, who prosecuted O.J. Simpson, believes that the Billionaire Boys Club crimes were the most interesting to have occurred in Southern California within her lifetime. So that says something. And who wants to argue against Marcia Clark besides Johnny Cochran? Certainly not me. I agree full on. I typically don't have time for money crimes because. Money doesn't really motivate or interest me, but this is different. This is psychological, psychosexual. It is a cult, and I am personally very interested in cults. So that probably explains what got me so invested in it. But, as with my interest in other famous cults, I really don't care that much about the cult leader. Honestly, they're all kind of the same. Pick one and you've kind of seen them all. I'm not a psychiatrist or a licensed clinician in any way, but my opinion is that the pathology that goes into making someone a cult leader is specific in a way that it's basically a medical presentation with specific symptoms and defined diagnostic criteria. It's essentially a disease. And Joe Hunt is no different. I don't find him very compelling at all. I think it's a lot more interesting to think about why people were so taken in by him. Until very recently, I had avoided diving too deeply into the lives of the Billionaire Boys because I wanted to create an independent vision of the characters I'd be writing. But in the past few months, I've been reading both of the definitive books on the crimes, and I've watched Marsha Clark's first 48 episode about it, I've seen Dominic Dunn's Power and Privilege episode and listened to the Wondery podcast, which all in all have led me to realize in some aspects, I got it wrong. But in others, this stuff was kind of visible from space. So (laughs) I'll start by highly recommending both books if you're interested in this at all please go ahead and check them out from your library. There are probably copies in circulation. If you live in L.A. County, that is definitely true. I'll provide all my sources in show notes, but the books are Sue Horton's Billionaire Boys Club and Randall Sullivan's The Price of Experience. Horton's book is a delightfully trashy beach read so much fun very well done in an investigative journalistic style that doesn't really exist so much today and Sullivan's book is a deep dive it goes into everybody picks people apart it is sassy a little bit dry pretty funny and occasionally devastating I'm still reading it and have ordered my own copy so that I can continue reading it, go back and reread it for as long as necessary. But that book, more than the other, really makes certain things pretty clear, and I find it pretty intriguing, although it's not all surprising. The BBC roster isn't necessarily important to the story. There are a few names that will come up again, but I name them by name when it's important, so you don't have to read any of the books in order to figure out what I'm trying to do. At least I hope. But if you do read any of it, I want to lay out clearly where... My fiction differs from reality, so it'll be a bit less confusing. Because I'm not doing a strict adaptation of actual events. I'll begin with the minor characters because, as I noted, they're not as crucial as our main guys. There is nothing I could possibly say about the May twins that is worse (laughs) Than reality? (laughs) What has already been said about them? (laughs) They're kind of the oblivious frat boy stereotype. I'm not gonna get into it too much. (laughs) I find Evan Decker to be a fairly sympathetic character. About as sympathetic as Dean. So I have no interest in dragging him either. In the story, I've aged him down and he's the BBC member who's very young, seemingly freshly 18. I've used details of his actual real-life background as a composite with Dean's because I think his history is exactly the recipe for creating a man like I envisioned Dean. I don't loathe Arben Ben. Dosti and Reza Eslaminia the way I do Joe Hunt, but I don't really have anything nice to say about them either. That's probably okay, because they're not very likely to hear me say any of it. And, again, they don't come across amazing in any of the sources about them either. The Wondery podcast was pretty sympathetic towards them, but... They were kind of generous like that. Jimmy, Dean, doesn't like either of those guys for reasons that will probably become clear. So he has personal beef, and that comes across. Joe Hunt, of course, can seethe and cope. I don't care about him. He's also pretty unlikely to know anything about this because he's in prison where he belongs. Hopefully... For the rest of his life. Now I'll devote a little extra time to Dean because he's one of our main characters. The title character, as it were. I've got to start by Eden Crow because, for a minute, I definitely thought real Dean Carney was himself a sort of archetypical personality type, half of a classic con-man duo, I think, if it's not already clear, Joe Hunt is a con man. I thought Dean might be one too, and the two of them teamed up. That happens pretty frequently, so if it had been the case here, that wouldn't have surprised me. I would have thought a movie about dueling con men, battling for supremacy within the same fraudulent operation, would have made for compelling viewing. But that's not the route the 2017 Billionaire Boys adaptation took. And the 1987 miniseries was pretty true to actual events. So, as it happened, actual Dean Carney was a different archetype altogether. The archetype of a guy who joins a cult and becomes a true believer. It's pretty unlikely real Dean Carney will ever hear any of this any more than any of the others will, but in case he does, I want to state up front, I'm not trying to drag this guy at all with what I'm about to say. Judgment-free zone. We could argue maybe about what Dean's motivations were for buying the lie, but I think it's pretty obvious. Dude had a crush. Of course, Joe and his homies loved to use that against him. Dean's a gay slur. He's a sexual pervert, and he can't be trusted. But that's not what I'm trying to say. I think being gay or bisexual or whatever is perfectly normal. And yeah, I think Dean was gay for Joe. I think Joe was also gay for Dean, but in a different way. I don't know if Joe actually has a sexuality at all other than he'll bang whomever he can use. But he knew for sure he could use Dean. So he did. Very possibly in every single possible way. Although they're probably the only two people who know for sure. I've changed certain elements of Dean's upbringing and background to bring it more in line with the character I've created, who's not entirely real-life Dean Carney, although he's not too far off, according to his depiction in the book, the 87 miniseries, and the podcast, which even has him listening to the same kind of music I thought he would. Because I'm not trying to throw shade on the actual Carney family, members of whom are still absolutely living today in L.A. and elsewhere, I've changed his mother's name, but I kept his father's name because I wanted Caroline to have the exact reaction to it that I did. Which she does. At a later date, I might make more episodes discussing exactly what I think real Dean and real Joe are like, but for now, I just wanted to cover what definitely makes my versions of them different. I completely forgot to address the female Billionaire Boys adjacent characters, and That's actually understandable because the BBC themselves frequently forgot these girls. I had been thinking of them as the BBC Ladies Auxiliary, and as per Sullivan's book, that is exactly what they came to call themselves, so I'm glad we're all on the same page. I've changed the name of Joe's Girlfriend. I named her what she was called in the 2017 movie. Because I actually think Emma Roberts should have played that character instead of the character she was told to play, I think she would have knocked it out of the park. This young lady was, um, she sounds like a trip. You should read the book, really, if you want to know more about that, but (laughs) she sounded like a Pretty good match for Joe. He mined her life exactly as he tried to mine Dean's, but she also didn't have a problem with it, unlike Dean, who ended up having pretty serious problems with it. She also had big problems with Dean. She was not nice about the poor guy at all. And within the story, he also maintains certain elements of beef with her it'll come up. I also created a composite character to stand in for Dean's girlfriend. I combined the two girlfriends he actually was known to have with my idea of the type of woman he would have been attracted to and then gave her the name she had in the 2017 miniseries as well. I've tried to make both of them into characters, but to Joe Hunt, at least, as they functioned in real events, Joe definitely saw his girlfriend as a puppet. And he saw Dean's girlfriend as Dean's puppet. Dean was his puppet, so he barely saw her at all. Okay, now I think that's everyone. There are a few others who might get mentioned by name. Steve Tag, Jesse Eisenberg, Jay Allen. But if that happens, they're likely to get their name dropped and then have the person talking about them, probably Jimmy, immediately describe what they did so the listener doesn't have to have background knowledge, who they are and how they fit into the BBC schema characters in this story will end up reading the books about BBC, both Horton's book and Sullivan's. When that happens, specific events and details will be referenced, but otherwise the listener can pretend that the books reflect what I've told you, when those details are different from reality. Both the 1987 miniseries and the 2017 movie exist in this continuity, but since neither of those adaptations got into the nitty-gritty details that I've changed, the audience can pretty much pretend that it's the exact same movie or series in the story that you could watch yourself if you wanted to. And I do recommend the 1987 miniseries because it's a very different experience from the 2017 movie, and I appreciated it a lot. Judd Nelson plays a creepy fucking villain. If you don't believe me, watch it, because I'm into true crime, and this actor, who (laughs) was known for John Hughes films could deliver a couple lines that I found actually shocking. I repeat one of them in the story because it's so illuminating into the personality of Joe Hunt. A final note is that I've also changed the timeline of events because Jimmy Dean Keen is five years younger than real Dean Carney, so... Within this story, Billionaire Boy's crimes took place in about 1985-1986, and then the trial was in 1987, Just absolutely not how it worked out in real life. There was quite a gap in between the crimes and the trial, because that's how it typically shakes out in California. Like the timeline for most things in this story, I'm not trying to nail it down too closely because that's not really my strong suit. So if you're a stickler for things like that, I apologize and just ask you to bear with me because those things aren't what I'm concentrating on. And I don't think it really matters to the point that I'm trying to put across. So I'm sorry, but I'm not that sorry. (laughs) And thank you for understanding. Thank you too for listening to this episode. I don't know how much it cleared up, if anything, but if you were wondering, now you know. Have a great day.